Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to still in season four of Man Buns and Jesus. This is we we don't count these episodes as well. I mean, we don't meticulously count any of the episodes, but especially these because uh, you're in for another hot take today. Uh, not that it's a hot take, but it's a hot issue. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Laborious, and on if you're watching the other side of the screen, if you're listening to the other voice on on this wonderful episode, is the esteemed Reverend Benjamin Oslager. How are we doing today, Ben? doing pretty well it's uh it's starting to feel like winter almost here in michigan today um we had our it's only going to get up to 82 degrees almost winter time we had our preschool trunk or treat this morning and uh it was like 38 37 degrees ish and sleeting um where did you park the cars in your gym or no we still had it outside because we understand how to handle cold in this state uh it doesn't shut down when things get below 50 anyway those poor kids (laughs) (laughs) they grow up tougher for it (laughs) no something like that um but Today, as Josh mentioned, we're getting into a, a not necessarily a hot button issue, but one that is is much more culturally relevant to our, our world today. Um, and that is what we do as Christians with the modern nation of Israel. Um, and there's kind of two branches to this. One is theological, um, and one is more like one is like end times theological. Um, if you've read Revelation, there's a lot of inferences in there to this nation of Israel. Um, so what if anything of Israel, not necessarily the one in the Middle East today, right now? Yeah, I was in the middle of clarifying that, Josh. If you'd let me speak. <laughs> I would anyway, um, but so we're gonna talk about what if anything that has to do with the modern nation of israel uh, as we see it today and then also like as christians living in the modern world what responsibility do we have uh as neighbors to the people of israel and also to the people of palestine um as they you know kind of endure this conflict and um you know, figure out what life looks like in the middle of, of war. So that's what we want to touch on today, and especially want to touch on the kind of end times theology side, because depending on what branch of American Christianity you're most familiar with, um, or what, you know, sources you're looking to as you're working through your own Bible study or whatever the case may be, um, there are a lot of different takes on this, and we just want to give you where we're at um which we and, believe to be the right position obviously 
Yes. Yeah. If we didn't hold the this as the right position, um, we wouldn't tell you that this is the thing we should think you should think. Um, as a side note, that there's that whole like people will throw out the criticism. Well, you just think you're always right. Yeah. Doesn't every like if you thought you were wrong, wouldn't you change your? Yeah. It That's... seems like a tautology. You think you're always right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Do you go around holding opinions and and that you believe to be wrong? Because then you're an idiot. I mean, I think the the one exception to that is being a pastor here in the Detroit metro area. Um, <clears throat> I have a lot of sympathy for people who think that Detroit sports are any good. Um, Says the Vikings fan. This is also this is also true. Uh, yeah, but there are objective truths in this world, like the Lions are okay. I mean, this year they're actually doing okay. Let's say they're going to win. This is way beside the point. Although, end times, if the Lions win the division, we might be there. Yeah. Yeah, if the Lions win the division, look out for Jesus before the Super Bowl. Um, that's not allowed to happen. It's in uh, like Revelation twenty three or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the notes Ben scribbled at the end of. Ben, um, yeah. Revelation do twenty three doesn't exist. Just for clarification. Yeah. So um, speaking of Revelation, yeah, um, I had actually believe I had never heard this until I went to a circuit meeting about two weeks ago and because of everything going on between israel and gaza and and in the middle east in general the circuit visitor thought it would be appropriate to bring out a an article from the lutheran witness from like way back i think from the 1980s maybe this article was okay there was a lot of a lot of violence in israel in the middle east um I mean, basically, for most of the... I was about to say, more often than not, there is violence been going on. Yeah, but, like, most of the middle of the 20th century, from, like, around the founding of Israel, within, like, a couple of years, they were already fighting with their neighbors up through, like, the 90s was probably when it was up the... Like, that 40-year span (laughs) was all pretty rough. And I remember from my world history class that I think it was Turkey, either Turkey or Egypt was the first palestinian nation to like officially have a peace treaty with israel first arab nation palestinians a different thing we'll get into that in a little okay. bit okay and i believe do, we, do you want me to define some terms here mate hold on i let me finish okay. my thought and the leader of that of that push was was a woman i believe either the diplomat or the head of state which was I just remember in the history book, there was a picture of this lady walking down a hallway, like where holding an important document or something. Um, I want to say that was Egypt, but I'm not 100%, 100% sure well, on I, that. Yeah. In this circuit meeting, what I discovered is that there are the, and Ben obviously knew this when he brought up this topic, there are large swaths of American Christianity who have intimately tied Christ's return to the nation state of Israel. Um, spoiler alert, we do not do that. Lutheran theology does not do that. In fact, we would point to um, 
if you look at a lot of the Jews during Jesus' time, they were looking for a military leader. And that's what they were expecting from the Messiah to usher in a new golden age for Israel, to put Israel back on top. And Jesus pretty consistently says, nope, that's not what the Messiah is going to look like. Um, and we would say, well, if you're waiting for like a military victory, a military reign or a political reign in Israel, like you're on this camp that Jesus is consistently criticizing. Um, also in this article, apparently there were those, and I had to ask the older gentleman in the room because I, I've never met someone who holds this opinion, that the creation of Israel was a divine mandate. Mm. And I was like, wait, hold up. I thought everyone was kind of the of the opinion. It was we collectively, as the rest of the world, felt really bad about the Holocaust. So we 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 made room for the nation of Israel. And I thought that's where we were all at. And then this article was like, there are those who believe this is a divine mandate. And I was like, wait, hold up. Who thinks that? Apparently people did uh, back in the day. I, I don't know too many people who still think that, but. These are some revelations I had recently because I didn't know people had these, all these things caught up in the political situation in the Middle East. But yes, Ben, I do think it is good to define some, define some terms. I just didn't want to lose my train of thought in its entirety. Sure. sure. So within the Middle East, there's, I mean, a lot of cultural subgroups, um, but Generally speaking, as we're speaking about the area that is modern day Israel and Palestine, your two predominant like ethnic and religious, uh, no, religious isn't necessarily completely tied to this either though. Um, mostly, I guess, ethnic groups would be Palestinians who are Arab descended and or Arab adjacent um, in kind of their ethnic makeup um and there's a pretty wide swath in terms of like some of them are christian some of them are muslim some of them are i think there's like a little bit of baha'i there which is interesting um i don't know how much jewish crossover there is there i don't think much if any but then aside from that at least religiously uh, you also have people of Jewish descent um, that also live in that region. Um, many of them also have some level of mixed European heritage to them based on the centuries of um, exile, basically, that the, the, the Jewish people lived in after the destruction of Jerusalem around 65, 66, 67 AD-ish, somewhere in there. Um, there were small pockets of Jews still living in the area that we know as Israel and Palestine now, but for the most part, it was uh, an Arab area. And it was only in the 40s, post-World War II, that modern Israel was created. Um and so you've got people who've been living there for nearly 2,000 years in the Palestinians. Um, and you've got people who have historic ties to the, the land of Israel 
in in the Jewish populations, um, and both of them really want the area, and both of them don't want to leave, and both of them are in a lot of ways ostracized by the rest of the world. Um, for the Jews, that's obviously very related to like World War II, the Holocaust, even you know more modern anti anti-Semitism as it exists throughout. Europe and, and North America um, still has people moving to Israel. Um, but then for the Palestinians, like as Israel has gained a foothold, the modern nation of Israel has gained a foothold. Uh, it's created a refugee crisis in the Middle East that its neighbors don't want to deal with because they're often dealing with their own issues. And so Jordan and Egypt haven't been terribly. Um, friendly to Palestinian refugees, even though they are probably best positioned geographically to help with that, that crisis. So in a lot of ways, you've got two people that are desperate for a homeland, two people that have um, deep ties to the area that they are in, and um, two people that really don't want to leave. And that's what causes a lot of the conflict that we see now. Um, Which... And in all of that, to kind of circle back to Josh's point, um, all of that was created by humans. Um, <laughs> and especially some, some British and French people that didn't know better. Um, like there were arbitrary lines drawn in places to to set up the modern nation state of Israel and like anyone who looks back at that and has any idea about the conflict that the Middle East has gone through would have known better than the people who just were drawing those arbitrary lines um yeah, this wasn't going to work the way that they hoped. It almost makes you think, like way back, way like, like Old Testament way back, mm -hmm. that the way people used to do war, where it was like, well, we're either, like we're going to empty the land one way or another that we're taking, either mm -hmm. through slavery or th just through mass uh, killing. It wasn't a better moral choice, but it certainly made the fallout a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. Because like with Israel, it's like, we're just going to, we're just going to put you here. And it's like, there, there, there are people living here. We got it. Like, yeah. Someone's got to deal with them. Uh, and, you know, thousands of years ago, they would have just been like, we're taking this and uh, we're going to make sure there are no people here anymore. Yeah. Um, but with all of these things that, that Ben is bringing up, like there's no easy fix like here because and i've seen and people look again at this there's no there's no way that like a piece of paper ends this war uh -huh. especially and and here's stop me if i'm sounding too stop me if i need to be stopped we'll just uh -huh. say that okay i think part of this comes from for a long time Israel has held back at the request of 
the United Nations and the rest of the world. There was like the seven day war and Israel has repeatedly shown their willingness to go on the war path, but they've held back because of the rest of the world community. I, th I suspect that there is leadership in Israel right now who sees what is going on in Ukraine with Russia and they've seen, hey, the world community is not doing anything about it other than supplying arms to one side of the conflict or the other. And I think Israel has said, well, if you guys aren't going to do anything about war right now, all bets are off. And I don't know if that is true, but it feels like to me that the, the war in Ukraine is what has changed. Mm -hmm. Because previously, when, when stuff like, because I believe the inciting incident was an attack by Hamas, yes? Yeah. In the past, Israel has responded to those attacks, but not in this organized, like, we're like we're going for this way. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there's I a I wonder scale. if that has something to do with it. They're like, well, if, <laughs> if you guys are okay with war now, we're going to, like, we're going to go for it. There's also a scale response to this, too, because the majority of and I'm fuzzy on some of the history here. I'm not going to claim to be a, a perfect expert on this, but like the scale of the attack that Hamas perpetrated on Israeli citizens um, along the Gaza border. Two weeks ago, as we're recording this ish. Um, was far larger than anything that had really been seen outside of something that was a like you could more realistically call a military action by what was a more a slightly more established palestinian region um of that area of the world uh and so like the fact that israel is responding as aggressively as they are i think is more just a like they feel this is appropriate given the scale of the the events that led to it um but yeah i mean this has never been a clean a clean issue and my whole point in bringing all of this up was circling back to that article you read the modern nation state of israel was created by humans and they didn't do a good job um and something else not, that the article brought up related to that is there there's some question of is it still Israel's promised land? Because if you look at the Old Testament, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give this land to you and your mm -hmm. descendants, and, and he makes that. Um, and people will like, well, then theologically, right, it's Israel's. And where I would say, well, hold, hold the phone here, is that that promised land was always tied up in the covenant with Abraham. Mm -hmm. The covenant was fulfilled with Jesus. It was completed. It is, I mean, we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Uh, you, you don't have to, the, the circumcision thing is, is a non-issue um, other than for medical or health reasons, right? And the land too, it's like that covenant is done. There's now a new covenant with God. And that's the one we have in, in Christ Jesus where he does all the work. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, it's Israel's land because it's the promised land, that's not a convincing theological argument because that's not the terms the promised land was given under, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And if you want to think about this in terms of like the way that even the Old Testament and, and New Testament people of God handle prophecy, like you would see multiple fulfillments of a single prophecy, but they changed. Like the way that they were interpreted would change. So like John, writer of the Gospel of John, writer of the, the book of Revelation, refers twice to a prophecy from uh, Zechariah, uh, and they will look on him who they pierced. Um, one time he refers to the Roman soldiers staring up at the crucified Jesus, literally looking on the man that they pierced. Um, and then he refers to him again in the book of Revelation, descending from the heavens and the whole world is looking on the one who their sin has pierced so like there is a difference in scale there is a difference in the way that that is it is coming to be and so if we're thinking about like which to ben's point is a very consistent use of prophecy yeah very often there is like a there's there's like a temporal fulfillment but it also points to uh eschatology yeah, more eternal or end days kind of fulfillment. And so if we're if we're thinking about this idea of, you know, God's covenant being an everlasting covenant, which he claims it to be, um, then the way that we view the nation of Israel, the way that we view the nation of Israel within the covenant, not within modern terms, and the way that we view the promised land are probably not the same right we're we're changing like the terms of the covenant are in some ways fulfilled and now changed where when christ came he changed names as god gave his disciples the task of go make disciples of all nations starting here in Judea and then in or starting in Jerusalem then Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth right um and so this is no longer a like it's no longer bound to a specific place yes exactly um God's presence is not bound to a specific place when when God's presence was resting in the temple and like that was where he promised his people he would be then yeah you can you can bind a promise to a specific geographic location but i think the way that the church has historically interpreted this idea of there being a promised land is god's people old testament nation of israel new testament church Whoever is bearing his promise at the moment, they will receive a promised land in the in the end of the time or in the end of time, but it is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be a new Jerusalem, not the city in modern day Israel that uh, people have been fighting over for a couple thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sorry, that got a little, I don't know, ranty maybe, <laughs> but like the the whole point is 
if we're looking at this prophetically, it's not the same thing. Um, and, and we have to recognize the context of, of John's revelation and know that it's not, he's trying to describe eternal and cosmic and divine things with human language. <laughs> yeah, he like there are limits. The best that. way to describe revelation is maybe and and revelation says this. I mean, not in these words, but it, it gets this point across of he's doing the best he can. <laughs> um well and because revelation does talk about this new Jerusalem, uh -huh. but it's always like if you look at how it's described, it's not described as an earthly city. It's always painted in this picture of new creation. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not like there's some secret pedestal that uh, the people of Israel have to put their hands on and then suddenly, boom, there's the new Jerusalem. It's, we're, we're talking about the end of all things mm -hmm. as we know them. So to, <laughs> to conclude, if you're looking to the nation state of Israel today, as a signal for the end times, you are incorrect. Yeah, there's not an appropriate way, or a or a right way, or a truthful way to interpret Revelation and the and the prophecy found there. Uh, it just is. Yeah, and there are a lot of people who would disagree with us on that, right? If you go on yeah. the internet, you'll find a lot of people who are like. It's a sign that a thousand year reign or something is going to start, or it's going to, I'm always kind of fuzzy on how they're dealing with the numbers on that one. Um, it's like you're, it's fascinating to me because a lot of those interpretations, they take, they take parts that are pretty clearly figurative about revelation, very literally. And then parts that are more literal, they take figuratively. I'm like, you, you lost the plot. Um, but I think more, Maybe if you're listening to this and you're of a similar theological bent as Ben and myself are, where you're not looking at this eschatologically, you're not looking at this kind of as some sort of symbol of prophecy, there is still a question of, well, how do we deal with it? Mm -hmm. like, and, and I'm not, like most of us are not hands-on dealing with it in any way. We're not policymakers, we're not soldiers, we're not politicians, we're not diplomats, we're just we're seeing it on the news so i think maybe the most appropriate way to phrase it is how do we pray about this and in if you want ways, if you want me to jump in on this we've been praying for um the people of palestine and israel for the last few weeks as this conflict has kind of started to unfold um and my prayer throughout this has always been and I think this is a faithful way to approach this. So Josh, you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, but pray that pray for the civilians. Like um, the, the culpability for the majority of the people of Palestine for the actions of Hamas is next to nothing, especially Palestinian Christians of which there are a good number they want nothing to do with Hamas. For so um, many obvious reasons. Yeah, for so many obvious reasons. And yet they are facing 
they are facing uh like the violence and death and living in that region yeah all sorts of things because of you know hamas's presence in the region um and on the flip side of things there are some kind of war hockey people in the israeli government at the moment um and they would love nothing more than to just wipe the the palestinian uh state off the face of the earth um and let that be more jewish land and that comes with the consequences of you know more more death more anti-jewish sent- sentiment in the region um probably more violent violence against israelis and israeli citizens and jews across the world so in, in all of this there's like 0.01 percent of people making decisions that impact the lives of the other 99.9 percent or yeah 99 percent so pray for the civilians because they're they are not involved in this um well and they then, are but they, they, i mean they are they're they're not want to be those are i think those are both accurate ways to describe it yeah um, i would agree with that so and, like it's leading to humanitarian issues across palestine right now um there's all sorts of of like violence breaking out in israel against Palestinians that live within Israel's borders and that live within the West Bank where there are also other Jewish settlements so like the the like the tone that the leaders of Hamas and the leaders some of the leaders of Israel are setting isn't helping things um so on that level pray for peace like yeah and as far as that goes I almost think we can, it's fair to treat it almost as the same way we're treating the war in the, in Eastern Europe, where we're praying for both Russian and Ukrainian civilians. Uh, we're praying for an end to the violence, to, to the loss of life that's going on and praying that cooler heads prevail in the leadership, which are all prayers that apply to, to the war in the Middle East. Um, pray for the civilians on both sides pray for the leaders on both sides uh that's where i think it's you start to lose a little bit of the comparison because um hamas their their stated goals are are like one of their core tenets i think is is this kind of violence mm-hmm. um so I guess we're you're praying for a complete change in that organization. Um, yeah, or within think, the people in that organization too. Yeah, and then I think another important prayer that it feels like it applies more here. I don't know that it does, but it, maybe it feels more that it doesn't go further. And by that, I mean, I think there there's a risk, and I, I hope this is just kind of, I hope this isn't realistic, but I think there's a risk where, you know, allies of the Palestinians get pulled in 
And then because of that, allies of Israel start to get pulled in. And this conflict becomes much, which is, I mean, that's how World War I started, right? One guy got assassinated and it kind of just cascaded because this country and this country got into a war and then they pulled in their allies and they pulled in their allies. And before you know it, most of the world is at war. So I think it's appropriate for us to pray that that doesn't happen, that the world doesn't get pulled into a massive scale conflict that started here. Um, and it fe like it feels like it's more likely here than it was in Ukraine and Russia. I don't know why I have that kind of mental thing because I there I don't know that there's a whole lot of justifiable reason for it. But um, and then the other thing, and I don't know where we should land on this because there is theologically Lutherans. Uh, we are not pacifists. We do believe that there is that the government is given the sword for justice, for reasons of justice, um, which I believe can go as far as to uh, to say that there is a such thing as a righteous war. Like I believe, I believe our theology would say when the U.S. got involved in World War II, that was a righteous cause that the, the Nazis did need to be stopped. Um, so I, there is a degree where uh, the, the things that Hamas did that started this whole conflict, it is within the government's responsibility to bring justice to bear on them. But there's, there's just so many, what's the C word I'm looking for? there's so much collateral damage going on that's like mm. i don't know how long that the righteousness of that righteous war lasts through all the collateral damage yeah but i there is something to keep in mind there because the very initial incident it is i i think theologically would say it's within israel's government's responsibility to take care of those who committed those acts um which is a is a marked difference, I think, from the Russia Ukraine conflict because it was, it's, it's not so much a there's I don't know how much moral connotation there is for a territorial dispute. Um, because Russia was like this is mine now, and Ukraine said no, and I mean there is there is obviously a moral there there is right and wrong to everything, but I I don't know that it applies in the same degree there. I think generally the, the, the kind of most black and white, white way to view this on a 10,000 foot view, because that's the only place this is ever going to be black and white is when we think about conflict and we think about armed conflict or war, um, the only way we really see it justified in scripture is when you're coming to the defense of a neighbor. That's fair enough. And so in the case of Ukraine, um, there was violence being perpetrated against Ukrainian civilians by the Russian military. 
and there were a number of Western nations that came to defend Ukraine. And I think in, in those cases, it was very justified that these nations pushed back against an aggressor. There wasn't, like, Russia claimed that it was to denazify Ukraine. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. I did not see that. No, like, that was that was the stated reason in 2022 when Russia initially invaded. Um, As a side note, that's incredible. They said, like, I remember when, when it happened, everybody was like, oh, this is going to be a week. And they're still going. Yeah. Which but all, all theology and everything aside, that's pretty impressive that Ukraine has has managed to stick it out for this long. I don't know if you saw, I think it was like last night or a couple nights ago, um, there was an airport in Russia that got overrun by um, anti-Semitic Russians who were looking to come and They'd heard that there was a plane full of Jewish refugees from areas near the conflict in Israel that were landing in their in their region, and they were looking to come kill Jews. I had not heard that. So Russia claiming to want to denazify Ukraine doesn't really stand up when there's a, a much greater segment of the Russian population that's already anti-Semitic. Well, and... I'm confused at the people who took the air. Like, Russia has never struck me as the kind of country that takes in refugees. The, they did kind of during some later years of the USSR. They would take in uh, political refugees from Western countries who were avoiding. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about like modern Russia. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. If you were to really. tell me Russia's taking in refugees i'd be like are are you sure barely it just doesn't sound that doesn't sound like that yeah um which is the same thing i say when my favorite hockey players take a penalty i'm like that doesn't sound like him Phil Horford <laughs> when he commit a slashing uh <clears throat> now that's like here is clearly this this conversation this is not us condoning war no and but there is an acknowledgement that it is a government's responsibility to protect its citizens mm -hmm. and in some cases to retaliate when in in defense of of those that they are responsible for yeah and i think we can apply a similar understanding to the way that israel is responding to hamas um for the most part so far I will add those clarifiers because, again, I don't know everything, but it also seems as though Israel hasn't done the world's best job of trying to avoid civilian casualties. Hamas is kind of inviting it by using civilian infrastructure to like, be a military support. Um, and so as a result, civilian places are being attacked because they're also military basically um i'm not gonna completely say that israel's hands are clean in some of those situations but 
it's not like it's entirely their fault either. No. And so in order to kind of bring justice for an incredibly deadly and unnecessary attack by Hamas on Israeli civilians a couple weeks ago, I think a lot of this is in many ways justified. But the extent to which Israel is cutting off the entire region of Gaza from any sort of like aid or the necessities of life, really, it's starting to push the envelope of, well, it's probably already pushing the envelope of too far. It has been for probably about a week. And to what extent they're now doing this out of defensive neighbor and to what extent they're just doing this as an aggressor themselves now is starting to get more gray. Yeah. So that's, I think in terms of like how I look at this in terms of kind of the, the geo political aspect of this, um, that's, that's how my theological framework for this shakes out. And yeah, it sounds kind of wishy-washy because like when, when Josh and I are trained as pastors, for the most part, we are trained to work with people individually. Like we preach to congregations, but the goal is to impact an individual heart and, and affect a change in an individual life. Yeah. Um, the broadest we really do is impacting communities yeah like when we step into a new congregation or we step into a new community maybe we have some leverage to to make some changes but no it's not we can't we can't bring an impact on uh, a nation state we can't bring an impact on a state state let alone a nation state i probably and, couldn't even bring an impact on the city i live in right that's kidding? Yeah, um, that's most certainly true. What I have observed is because you're speaking of this wishy-washy, uh, things are black and white if you look at them from 10,000 feet up mm -hmm. and you assume it. I mean, it's just like physics. You can use formulas cleanly if you assume constants. If you say, I'm going to assume this value for air resistance. I'm going to assume this value for gravity. Like if you make a lot of assumptions, yeah, things are black and white. And where I will also say is I think things can be black or things tend to be black and white. So up here and then also way down at a granular level. If if we are having a conversation as individuals, there are a lot of black and whites I can give you because mm -hmm. I know your context. I know where you're at and I can tell you this is right. This is wrong. Way at the top, you got black and white. Way at the bottom, you, you can get black and white. Anything in between, it gets really hard because you on the one side, you know too much to be able to say things black and white because you're not at that 10,000 feet anymore. But at the same time, you don't know enough to be able to make those calls like you would on an individual level. So with that being said, yes, a lot of this is very gray, which mm -hmm. is why... <laughs> I think it's appropriate for us to, and Ben, you can say we, we're going to keep going. I think it's appropriate for us to start to maybe call it here before we overreach. No, I, I was starting to, to kind of get to a conclusion here too. And 
maybe this kind of gives us an opportunity to move into takeaways. Um, and I'll give you one of each, one for each, um, both on the theological side and on the the human side of things, like the humanitarian side of things. Um, and on the human side of things, again, from that 10,000 foot perspective, Israel is justified in defending its neighbors, um, its civilians, the people within its borders who were attacked. Can we condone the action of every Israeli soldier because of that fact? No, because they still have to uphold the, the same like justice that God wants in the land um, that any of the others of us are, are called to do. So if we hear stories coming from the people we think to be in the right that say, hey, maybe they weren't always in the right. We have to reckon with that. And we have to understand that as part of the situation. Um, and then on the on the theological side, just recognizing that modern day Israel is a human creation that causes human problems and requires a divine intervention of Jesus scale. <laughs> um because it's a hot mess it's a hot mess and like it has nothing to do with the the promised promised israel i'm making air quotes for those who can't see me the promised israel that we're looking for that place that that god eventually has for us to rest in eternity um and so let's let's pray for those people because the civilians are hurting. But this is no divinely mandated state. Uh, this is just another group of sinners like the rest of us in need of the grace of God. And kind of rolling from that, the takeaway I I, I want to give put before you guys, before our audience, um, is your action step. Because like we started this episode, if you're listening to this, you're probably not a diplomat. You're probably not involved directly or really even indirectly with the conflict, with making decisions about it. Um, so the action step that you have is, is to pray for it. Pray for peace. Pray for the civilians involved. Pray for the leaders involved that cooler heads would prevail. Um, and pray for the situation that it would move, that it would de-escalate rather than escalating. So that's, there's your homework assignment. Pray about it. Mm -hmm. uh, with that, uh, please subscribe, follow whatever platform you're on, whatever lingo they use. We, we do appreciate the, the subs, as it were. If they have a rating system and you could rate us five stars, that would be awesome. We have two five-star ratings on Spotify. It makes it look makes makes us look uh, so much better than we actually are. Um, don't take that as an invitation for low ratings. Don't do it. Um, I mean, if you genuinely think that this podcast sucks, then I guess we'll take the feedback. Um, and if you do have feedback, if you have any ideas for us, whether that's topics or guests or you want to come on the show. Um, 
go ahead and reach out to us. Most of you who listen know us personally on some level. So you feel free to reach out, phone, text, whatever. Um, if you don't, if you're a listener who uh, has never interacted with either of us, first of all, welcome. Pretty cool that you're here. Uh, we do have a Facebook page that you can message. We will see the message at some point. Neither Ben nor myself are super active on social media. Um, but we, we do check often enough that we'll see whatever you have for us. So, um, And we do still have that shirt for sale. We, we still have zero sales, which is exactly what I expected. Um, <laughs> but it's there. And uh, you're welcome to buy it if you'd like. EdgewaterLutheran.org slash gear. It's somewhere on that page. Um, and with that, brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.